1: Welcome everybody to Nightlight. It's a cold night here, so cuddle up and and take your shoes off and uh, get warm and comfortable because Mark has an amazing show for you. Uh, I want to first thank Ken Quiet Hawk for his amazing introduction. You can find him and his wife at nativestorytellers.com. Please check out and experience what the Native storytellers are like because it's a fabulous part of history that is not going to be around forever. And when you get a chance to experience it, you're going to find that there is a a different way of preserving our history and our stories and our cosmologies and um, everything else that was around long before books were and has lasted even longer than I think books are going to last. So check it out. It's nativestorytellers.com. Tonight is a perfect night for the perfect guest. So Mark has a couple of fascinating people here to talk to and experience and um sit back, get warm and cozy and enjoy the show. Mark, it's all yours.
2: Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. Hey you had a big show last night.
1: Had a big show last night, yes.
2: Wow, <laughs> oh, Cool. Yes yeah, yeah, this is our uh Christmas show, just want to say Merry Christmas and happy holidays to everyone uh doing these shows is a uh present to me. I appreciate the opportunity for uh what last year and a half um yeah you know, we have uh, you know, you know we're taking. Next Monday and Tuesday off, obviously for the holidays. Uh, but we will be back Friday, December twenty seventh at ten p.m. with a review of Teos Cave. Its new publication looks uh, like you know, we're going to have a uh, terrific uh, two hours with Alex Kianetti. So uh, we'll be back on Friday, December 27th. Uh, We have a festive family-themed show tonight. Uh, The holiday season can be hectic and stressful. Uh, We have an accomplished musician joining us for the first hour who who will be playing her singing bowls and uh, uplifting us. Lenora Pfeffer is our guest a mutual friend? Sereni got me interested in Lenora's Facebook videos, and I've been watching them since, you know, I don't know, probably about June. Uh, Lenora is a tonal vibrational healer, and she is the founder of LightOfTheGalaxy.com of Hi, Lenora, how are you?
3: I'm wonderful, Mark. How are you? Um,
2: I'm really looking forward to having a musician play live for us tonight. Uh, We've had uh, a number of musicians uh, as guests, but we haven't been able to um, hear them play live, but that's going to change shortly. Good. Uh, Yeah. So looking forward to that. Uh, Yeah. Lenore incorporates light and sound in her videos for healing. Uh, modern medicine is rediscovering what the ancients understood about vibrations. Um, like the you know, book of Ephesians encourages people to keep singing and chanting to the Lord. You know, music was <clears throat> uh, used to comm- commemorate the building of the uh, temple uh, to Yahweh That's in the second book of chronicles uh you know drums uh lyres uh tambourines or some of the other uh musical instruments uh mentioned in the bible you know, uh but you, you also have in the book of Joshua uh, the uh famous example of the vibrations being used to destroy the walls of Jericho in the Bhagavad Gita Derry Odonna is cheered by a con- conch shell and e- even in, in a more uh, re- recent novel like uh, Thomas Hardy's uh, Test of the D'Urbervilles from the 1890s uh, you know, he talks about Stonehenge humming. So uh, we we have many examples from uh, history about how vibrations have an impact on people. So uh, uh, Lenore, how how did you become aware of singing bowls and their healing potential?
3: Well, uh, over a decade ago, um, my reiki master has a set of of seven singing bowls, and so one day in our lessons, she invited me to try playing one, and it was the heart chakra bowl, and it was a very very beautiful F tone, and I was quite moved by that, but I didn't I didn't pick up the singing bowl other than that day. And then uh, she introduced me to crystals, and asked me if I'd ever tried toning on crystals, and she gave me a clear quartz. And I found it interesting to, to tone on a crystal, clear quartz, and, and, and feel and hear the frequencies of the quartz brought out through vocal toning. Then I started singing light language, and I'm skipping over a lot of chapters because this is only a one-hour show. Um, Light language, also known as galactic language, star language, soul language. People even refer to it as speaking in tongues. But Uh. it's something that comes through from, from source, through the heart, through the voice, and that comes out... And I combined singing in white language with a singing bowl one day in harmony, and the frequencies were really pleasurable, and I, I found them very self-healing. And I got more than one bowl, and I harmonized the bowl with each other, and I harmonized with the bowls, and now I have a whole choir of bowls, including myself, <laughs> you know, what <well, laughs> You know we don't stand on risers, but I, I do that. The whole choir of it, it is an amazing healing sound. It, it, and sound has been used for healing in in other ways. Sonograms, for example, do use sound waves. We certainly understand sonar. Uh-huh. So so we know we know that everything is really vibration. And light and sound, of course, are also vibration. So when I get the sun angle properly, I can have rainbows coming through in addition to the sound of the bowls. So then there are light frequencies. In addition to the sound frequencies. it is a full sensory healing. And whatever needs to come through comes, comes through. I am just a conduit
2: yeah and when so- someone watches your f- facebook uh live streams or the archives yeah the uh you know whether you're inside or outside it, you you do have a uh the you know, the sun or some kind of light source uh behind you uh, and you have all the uh you know bowls go- going to um but your titles of your videos uh have you know uh, words like repair and activation in them when you know I I tune in and you know all, all your other uh, regular listeners are there. How does all of this sensory uh, you know, stimulus affect the viewer?
3: It activates. Well, it affects it in multiple ways. Um, I'll explain activate. Okay. It it can activate aspects of the viewer that hasn't been developed. Uh, for example, our dormant DNA actually has a tremendous amount of power to it. We we only use a tiny bit of our DNA. This actually activates the dormant DNA. It also activates the chakras or energy centers in the body. Some might say it balances the chakras. If the chakras need more or they need less, whatever is needed, the vibrations of the bowls provide that or facilitate that.
2: Okay. So so what is the optimal way to receive the vibrations like most of the time i i i'm just sitting in my chair is that that okay uh you know is it be, better to you know be laying on the bed or on uh on the floor
3: anything but driving <laughs> okay Uh, Seriously, uh, I I can't even, I can't listen to singing bowls and drive or I'm going into an altered state on the interstate. So you you really, you can sit, you can sit and be in a meditative, relaxed way. You can lie down. And in an in-person situation, somebody would be lying down on a yoga mat and surrounded by the sound in what's called a sound bath. That's how you would receive it in person. If you are receiving it on the Internet, if you can lie down with headphones, that's beautiful. If you can sit and relax with headphones, that's beautiful. If you are getting the sunlight, you might also want to be sitting and looking at the sunlight and receiving, at least for some of it. And then if you want to lie down, you can certainly lie down. People's pets can't come over. And they want to be at the screen. They want they want to hear the video also, and their babies go to sleep oh. because of the relaxation effect.
4: Mhm.
2: Yeah, that's that's the impact it has on me the most is you know, just re- really feeling uh, calmed uh, during the during and after your jam session.
3: Last week, I stopped my own migraine. I was starting to get a migraine. It started with an ocular situation, and I, I grabbed my crown chakra bowl and I started playing it for myself, and it went away.
2: Okay. Okay, you just mentioned the uh, crown chakra bowl that that was more directed for a specific um ailment um could you know, as we kind of start building up to you playing what are some of the other you know, like frequencies that you use to work with uh, other parts of the body.
3: Okay, that's that's a good question, and I'm I was going to come to that.
2: Okay, I'll uh, uh, we come back to that.
3: No, I want to come to that now. I think this okay. is, this is this is perfect. While I don't off the top of my head, no pun on crown chakra, know what the exact hurt is. I can tell you that every body part vibrates at a certain frequency. If you play the singing ball that corresponds to that frequency, it has the potential of healing or helping to heal that body part. So the frequency that vibrates the crown chakra was what I decided to experiment with to to beat back a migraine. And that was successful. I have used, I, I, because I've been singing a good portion of the day, I brought out my throat chakra bowl as one of my demonstration bowls just to soothe my own throat. And there, there are solar plexus. There's a solar plexus frequency also, which I use for digestion. And, of course, the heart chakra really helps everything. So, there's seven major chakras. I'll, I'll go um, from the bottom, the root chakra, the sacral chakra. So, root chakra is like way on your base. The sacral chakra is navel area. Uh, shoulder plexus, obviously, stomach area. And then um, the heart chakra, throat chakra, third eye And just behind that, the pineal, it's a half-step apart, then the cram shock on top. Plus, I have additional bowls for some specialty purposes, such as the love frequency 528 hertz bowl, which is associated with repairing telomeres in the DNA. And that's the little one that uh, that you've you've watched quite a few Mm -hmm. times. Mm
4: -hmm
2: okay so um do you, do you want to do a demonstration now we can talk uh do you do, do you want to uh, uh t- tell us what uh h- hurts this is or do you want to talk about it af- after the song's over
3: well what i'm going to do is i'd like to demonstrate each bowl Okay. I can't tell you what the chakras are. Well I only have one that's associated with a particular chakra. And that and that is the one for the throat chakra. So what I want to do is play the throat chakra bowl briefly so that you can hear it. The DNA repair bowl. And then I have a metal bowl, a metal Tibetan bowl, which I'm lifting as though you can actually see it. A Tibetan bowl which has a different kind of sound. It has a more metallic sound. So all of my bowls are crystal bowls with the exception of this one Tibetan one. So I'm just going to start and just play the bowls a little bit, and then I'm going to combine them. I'll combine a couple of them for some harmony. But for now, let me just start with this.
4: This is the throat chakra.
3: And a repairable and the Tibetan bowl. With three bowls separately. And now I'll have a little bit of fun with a little toning.
4: mm mm-hmm. Thank mm-hmm. you.
3: The throat chakra, DNA repair ball, and a little Tibetan ball.
4: Okay.
2: So, Lenora, so far you've had uh, s- several people say how, how, how relaxed they uh, feel. Uh, Mandy said she's about ready uh, just to came home from work and tu- tuned in she's about ready to fall asleep so That's you, you got yeah, you got her uh, r- relaxed
3: wonderful it's, wonder- it's wonderful to do that it's, it's very relaxing to do
4: mm-hmm.
3: towards the end of the day it's also relaxed for me I like to do it in the morning because it's activating for me. Even though it's relaxing, it's activating at the same time.
2: Does the little ding at the beginning have a symbolic functioning or is that just uh, a natural consequence for putting the striker against the a bowl
3: well, I have um mallets, and I have strikers. Mallet has sort of a rubber edge, and that that may be more for literally for hitting it uh the striker is good for hitting it, but I can let me demonstrate I'm gonna start the bow without the striking it, okay, no striking, just playing. For the 8-inch bowl, that that suffices. For a 5-inch bowl, it may not. You can hear a tiny sound, and I'll hold it up a little. I'll actually hold the bowl like I do in the videos. It takes much longer to get a small bowl started. So tapping it first and then continuing the playing, get sound out of it quicker. So that's the primary difference for me. Also, you can hit single notes.
4: Okay. okay,
2: and what you as you sing, the um uh, sounds you're uh making are divinely inspired, is that?
3: Yes, a way it to, comes ins- through. Okay. yeah, it comes through from source, which mm-hmm. which I suppose is another way of describing divinely inspired. It just comes through,
4: okay. So, uh,
2: there, it, it's there, there's it's not rooted in any known language,
3: no. Well, when I, am, when I am doing straight toning without any kind of light language, and usually it starts with just straight toning, and then maybe some light language might come through, I think that the, many of the Earth languages were somewhat derived originally from galactic language. It's a very long, long, long story, and there have been many changes. English is very unrelated to it. But a lot of the other other languages may sound like light language. And there are different dialects of light language that vary with the star system depending on uh, the person's orientation with origination.
2: Okay. It, and when you you know, probably more so during the uh summer and fall months you, know, you have gone to some uh scenic locations like a, a state park uh near you um you know when you're um, you know taking your show on the road uh how does that uh, different setting, uh, being out in nature, uh, affect you differently than, you know, like this time of the year when you're, you know, just kind of confined to the living room? What?
3: Oh, it's very inspiring when I am inside, confined to the living room. I enjoy the acoustics of my living room, the the hardwood floors. It's a a very nice space. It has good acoustics. But it does not have the inspiration of being in the mountains. It doesn't have the inspiration of, of being near a waterfall or a babbling brook or being by trees. When I'm sitting in the summer under a tree and I'm toning, I, I had the the spirit of the tree with me. I had the tree energy, inspiring inspiring the tones. So it's like I'm singing with the tree. This fall we went to uh, a park in the, in, in and an eagle came by. An eagle actually came by, swung by a couple of times while I was toning. There's a strong possibility that the eagle heard the toning and wanted to know what's up.
2: Uh, you already mentioned uh, you know, the uh, pets gravitate towards your shows.
3: They do. They they absolutely do. Cats, the dogs like it. Cats cats will really curl up against your computer screen. So, how many bowls do you have? Oh, I would say about fifteen.
2: Okay. uh, Are you ordering them? Is there a place nearby where you get them?
3: I ordered mine on Amazon, but I do have a friend, uh, Anna May, and I might not be pronouncing her name. Swaggert. She is a sound shaman, and she personally sells the bowls. She is in Delaware. So had I had I met her before, I might have gotten some of the bowls personally from her rather than just going on Amazon and getting them. But I'm, I am satisfied with the bowls that I got on Amazon. They range in prices, you know, 50 to keep going. They're expensive, especially the crystal ones. The metal Tibetan ones are not expensive, but the crystal ones are but i really uh vibe with the crystal ones they they feel very alive to me of course the quartz so they're very very special to me you
2: know, lenora when i saw my first uh demonstration of them um the the musicians were using alabaster is that the right? So, like, they they were, oh, uh, were probably like two feet tall, maybe about just as wide. They're very large bulls. Uh, is there a difference in the? Uh, Medium used you know from alabaster to glass or some other type of you know, like the uh, Tibetan uh, bowl is a metal one. Is there a different impact on people with the uh, uh, mediums?
3: I find there is, while the pitch is the same. There there are vibrational properties that differ from medium to medium. So a a crystal is going to sound different from metal, which is going to sound different from alabaster, which is going to sound different from hand pans. Have you heard anybody playing the hand pan? I can't think of his name um, at the moment, but there's somebody who does a lot of Facebook Live with hand pans. And it's, it's also magnificent, magnificent sound healing. And, that's, and those are metal. As far as I know, those are metal. So, people use whatever they have. And there are gongs, hand pans, and any number of things that can produce the same pitch, but the frequencies are going to be different. There's a, There are vibrational properties in, in every object. Just like In 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 people, we all have vibrational properties. Everything is vibration, and the vibrations vary. Okay,
2: well, Lenora, we have oh, I don't know, sixteen minutes or so. Uh, Do you do you want to keep uh, playing?
3: I can actually. What I can do is pull out another bowl. Okay. Um, this is a little bit of a surprise, but how about I'll pull out a specialty ball. The one that I'm going to pull out is for pineal activation. Mark, I think you have seen me and heard me do the pineal activation many times.
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: I'm going to use a gentle striker with it. So I have a lot of choices to use, so now I'm going to take out another ball, which is this is going to be the B-flat or A-sharp, however you would refer to it. And the the one that I'm going to be playing with it is going to be the G, the throat sharper one. So I'm going to put these two together as harmony. Well, I will probably do some singing with it as well. Okay, so we have this and this. All right, another demonstration coming. Alright, so this is and that was a strike, of course. That's the pineal. You probably feel that in your head.
2: Can we stop for a second?
3: Sure.
2: The the uh, pitch is uh, get, getting a little too high for the switchboard.
3: Oh, well, I knew that was going to happen eventually. Okay. So that one was a little bit too high. All right, so it was starting to blip out. We're losing internet on it.
2: It's, yeah, yeah that's what Barbara
3: okay.
2: uh, I'm glad
3: s- you said. To start. I'm glad
2: you're starting it. Yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> you may have to go down to a, a smaller bowl but uh yeah you know, i've had quite a few people already comment on you know, how the uh you know bowls and your singing have um uh, you know provided for a nice winding down of the day when they've really gotten a lot out of uh, you, your uh, playing this evening. So, um,
3: Did you want me to go back to the first, the original two bowls that I was playing?
2: Well, um, we
4: was may we not played?
2: be able to, it, it's or the technician is <laughs> checking checking to see if, if we're still on the air. So, sounds like uh oh. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> yeah,
4: okay.
2: yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah. Uh, I've heard that happening. It's just got a little t- too much uh, rocking going on there. And uh, oh no. I'm sorry I blew up the studio. I get
4: that a
2: lot. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have to. Just sounds like we're going to uh, have to just finish talking. Um, We're, yeah, I think. The technical crew is uh, putting some masking tape and (laughs) paper clips on the switchboard to make sure we (laughs) can finish the show.
3: They went out for beers. Are you kidding? They're gone. (laughs) There's an empty room
2: out there. Okay. So, yeah, let's uh, uh, just do a little bit more talking for the next (laughs) 7 8 minutes or so sure. but uh, y yeah, yeah I I've heard that happen with um, um when Merle Fankhauser was uh, on the lecture circuit uh discussing his um, the underwater sounds that were, uh, that he weaved into uh his uh signals from Malibu CD that the uh high pitches actually caused uh two or three uh networks to shut down so
4: oh no oh, yeah
2: there uh, there is a um, pattern for that so but um let's see what you do have you know, have CDs available
3: I do I have it,
2: I have CDs and I have DVDs Okay so uh where can people purchase those and listen to them in their house it, it, in it, it, yeah that would be more safe than
4: <laughs>
2: play, uh play uh, playing it o- over the switchboard uh So uh, where where can they get your CDs and DVDs?
3: Well, they can they can certainly message me on Facebook. Is most of your audience on Facebook?
2: Uh, 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 Barbara has a lot of um, followers on her Facebook fan page.
3: Okay, on my Facebook fan page is light of the galaxy. And they can find me as Lenora P.F.E. P-F-E-F-F-E-R. They can find me, my Facebook profile is open to public, as is the, um, the fan page, Light of the Galaxy. And they can message me and purchase via PayPal, purchase a CD or DVD. And uh, I guess I'll tell you the price, right? Might as well know that. Okay. Uh, for the, the rest of this month, CDs are $15. Coming January, they go up to $20. DVDs are 33 And they're staying 33 Okay. So
2: yeah. uh, people have about two weeks to take advantage of the lower price.
3: The lower price on the C D, yes. Yeah, they have a couple of weeks left and they could it's a little tight to get it for Christmas. I'm not gonna represent that they can get it for Christmas. Uh that it's a little bit close. Yeah, because I generally send it out first class. So it would get there sometime between Christmas and New Year, depending on where they are.
2: Okay. With the bowls, is there a uh, way that you need to do maintenance on them?
3: Well, it's good to, to dust them off with a very soft cloth. And you can wash them, preferably with distilled water something that's not going to leave a residue. I did an interesting experiment, and it's, it's remotely related to cleaning them, but I put water in it, played it, and watched the pattern of the water change with the vibration of the ball. Then I, I, I froze the water in a container, and, and I saw the patterns emerging as, when it was iced up water. From from the the tones of the singing ball. it was a very cool experiment. Wow, cool. Yeah, remotely related, but it it relates to to the vibrations of them. But but cleaning, you have, you do have to be very careful. Obviously, they're not dishwasher safe, so you have to be very gentle with them because you want you want the pitches to stay intact, not just not just the way they look. So you. you I keep them in their travel cases, okay. So they're, so they're they're well protected. I don't I don't leave them out. Well, I leave the little the little DNA ball out, but not the others.
2: Um. Yeah, they're. Yeah, you know, I was reading a uh, an article on sound therapy. And there are other ways that um, uh, therapists – or or there are other instruments uh, therapists are using besides the singing bowls. There's the – how do you pronounce it? Like Dita LaRue. Uh, horn type thing from australia i don't think oh, i pronounced it you
3: did you, do. A did you do?
2: yes uh oh, it, yeah. I, 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 I screwed that one up uh but i uh, i i understand it's a different uh instrument but is that designed to um basically do the same thing as the bring the same healing as the singing bowls or is it uh, uh, affecting people in a different manner
3: I think that the the dish we do on the um, Native American wood flute which I find exquisite uh, they're they're healing, but I don't know that they are anatomically specific like chakras. Like singing bowls can be anatomically specific for chakras or internal organs. You whatever pitches you do play on these instruments can correspond anatomically, but for meditation, for relaxation for getting in touch with your own soul all all of these instruments are effective it's really what you're called to play or what you're called to listen to
4: okay
3: and whatever doesn't blow up the sound system
2: yeah i i, I kind of have a feeling um <laughs> This one, yeah, this one's going to be uh, w- w- one of those shows that's uh, g- going to be like uh, the the uh, Houdini meltdown show. It's going to cool. be you know, like one of those legendary shows. You, you almost uh, cra- crashed uh, the whole network because because of your guest. You know, so it's I, I it's going to take me a while to live this one down.
3: Oh well, wow. I have to live this one down. Also, I, I get I'm, I'm a nice guest on the show, and what kind of a guest am I? I blow up their system? This is this is terrible, right?
4: Yeah,
2: uh, I invited you, so that's uh, <laughs> you're doing what you normally do. I it, it was it was my invitation. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, the uh, I'm sure at 11:01 the English blog talk. Uh, robo Babe will ha- have some words with me.
3: <laughs> uh oh, uh oh. Well, you know, I should have stuck with the the first two. Once I added yet another bowl in, once I added the pineal ball, I don't think that was actually. I think that was another ball. It wasn't the pineal one. I think it was. Um,
2: oh, the. Thro- uh, it was a combination throat and pineal.
3: Yeah, it was. It was. Whatever it was, and i was listening- I was listening to it, thinking, "Oh, this is really tripping together, but um obviously the vibrations once they were combined uh, really overwhelmed the system, and I'm right near the speaker, I'm right near, yeah, I'm right near the mic here, so
2: okay, but um
3: I apologize for <laughs> now,
2: you're just doing your thing it's uh it's just uh you know the technology hasn't caught up with what y- you do so uh don't worry about it so uh you know we have our uh, second hour guest in the green room uh do you want to give everyone uh your uh website and any other thing you want to plug real quickly and then we'll uh, bring David on
3: yeah i'll give i'll give you um the, the quick plug, and, and hopefully, the earth hasn't moved off this access from this, <laughs> from this, this loud noise. Okay. Um, anyway, on www.lightofthegalaxy.com, that's the that's website. Best way to get me is on Facebook, Light of the Galaxy on Facebook, Lenora Pfeffer on Facebook. I'm on there all the time. So I'm 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 on there toning at least four days a week. Um, do send me a private message. I try and answer my messages within a day. Uh, for the the CD and DVD, or if you just want to talk to me about the singing bowls and that kind of thing, maybe people here are going to want to get their own singing bowls also. You never
4: okay. know. Okay. Well, okay.
2: Yeah, awesome it's, it's, there's a nice uh, Christmas gift. Just get get someone a singing bowl.
3: That's a wonderful gift. That's a super duper um, Christmas gift. The CDs are good Christmas gifts. Hand hand. Um, the DVDs are good are good Christmas gifts also. They are they are, they're nice. They're stocking stuffers. You know, get big tabs. are really good stocking stuffers.
2: Okay, well, Lenora, th- thank you so much for being. Uh, a, a wonderful guest. Uh, you know, uh, we'll be in touch, and you, you can just hang up, and I'll, I'll 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 bring on our second hour guest now. All
3: right. Thank you I, so much,
2: Mark. I, 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 ha, have a merry Christmas. Thanks for destroying the station, and
3: yeah. You know. <laughs> How's the Grinch? This is called the Grinch playing the ball. Okay. <laughs> All
2: right. All right. T- t- take care. Thank you so much, Lenora.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
2: All right. Bye bye. Bye. Okay. Um, our se- second hour guest is here. Hopefully, he's not going to get into uh, throat chakra and pineal activation singing. But uh, David Collis is returning for what is becoming an annual Christmas tradition. David is the author of The Captivating, Interviewing Jesus the Man. Uh, David is a world traveler, scholar of ancient Mediterranean history, and he's also an artist who excels in a variety of mediums. His website is davidcollis.com.
5: Hi, David. How are you, Mark? I'm doing great. Hello to you and uh, early Merry Christmas.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just glad you can hear us. It's, yeah, it's um, you know, it's, loud and clear. Yeah, you know, we just yeah, okay, good. Um, yeah, you know, we had uh, obviously a or- artist on the f- first hour. Yeah, you know, we're gonna get into your artwork a little bit uh during the se- second hour but, um yeah you know, who who says there's no continuity in my two guest programming let's we'll make this work but um <laughs> yeah you know, i thought we could s- start in the oh gee what was that
5: oh uh, there was a it looked like there was a notice for me to get on the show right now.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, Ho- you know, hopefully that wasn't the uh, blog talk. No, waiting. it was a
5: little reminder. It was a it was my reminder that I had my oh. the show tonight.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> and I'm on it. All right. <laughs> okay. I just thought we could start in the middle of your book and. Maybe go into a variety of themes from there. Um, On page 198, um, Jesus says, this goes to the question of what I wanted to accomplish. I wanted to be inclusive, not exclusive. I wanted to Challenge barriers and the status quo to include people who were voiceless and provide them with a voice, a direction, a purpose, and a vision of the divine that was different than the one they were born into and lived with every day. What better way to accomplish this than within our religious patriarchal society? I wanted to share – or I wanted to shatter barriers, push new, more – Inclusive ideas and show people new possibilities. After all, my society was closed, narrow-minded, and blind. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, we here at Nightlight and yeah, you know, the part two sister show, if it's on uh, for very much longer, yeah, uh, you know, t- challenges barriers. Um, yeah. You know, it's based on uh research and or or the evidence at least uh begs to have the uh uh eyes dotted uh you
4: know, you
2: know we're providing a variety of I- informed opinions not focusing on, on unsubstantiated claims but uh, you know, how does this uh Christmas season uh you know, season of a, a child's uh birth h- helped to I- inspire us two thousand years later
5: <clears throat> when we think about the nature of this story we <clears throat> excuse me we're thinking about the nature of the redemption of mankind so one of the the kind of the beautiful aspects of this narrative is that mankind has been moving, has moved off of its rails, has moved in some other direction, and that we have lost our connection to the divine and that we need an intercessor, which is the, the birth of Jesus, to bring us back so that we can reconnect uh, ourselves to the divine. And he was the one at that particular time, at that particular era, that agreed to do what he needed to do to bring back the world at that point and and, and kind of set it straight again. So I think that this is a really a beautiful story, and it's a story that um, is applicable today because we all feel or we all want – A very strong and deep connection to the divine and the question is is how do we get there where do we go what what needs to be done and is our society and this is kind of also the aspect because there's an individual part to the narrative but then there's also a uh, collective narrative it's a it's a historical narrative where do we go from here not only individually but um, from a societal point of view and this is a story of redemption. It's a story of intercession. It's a story of the divine uh, making contact with us and and awakening us to all the possibilities that are available to us.
2: Okay, so... You know, our, you know we go through this uh, season of... You know, how do we wake people up you know, individually as well as society-wide? What well, you know, there's so many you know, good messages out there. Um, you know, so, so some people just want to turn them down, but you know, there's there are reasons to. Be positive.
5: Right. So one of the things that Jesus was advocating was um, a non-materialistic point of view. And at the time of the Roman Empire, uh, the Romans uh, were engaged in taking, other, taking over and invading other territories. And they were, oh, you would say You know, it's not like they were the nicest of all the people, but they definitely had a sense of what it is that they wanted to accomplish. And these people uh, that they ended up uh, subjecting had an option where they can either be part of the Roman Empire or be rejected by it. And Jesus, when he enters into the world, he's trying to break that pattern of suppression and materialism that you would find with the nature of empire so the question that you're addressing is is how do we as a collective society go about transforming the society well we're seeing part of what's going on today in our society and in the world in which there's kind of these all these new movements the other issue is is on a personal level how do we you know reconnect ourselves to the divine it was my understanding and my conviction that what Jesus did and what the way he approached it is that he wanted to restore individual people so that they can have a sense of empowerment, that they can pick up their mat and walk. They have eyes to see. They have a heart to feel. They have an ability to know that there is something beyond this world that they can in, embrace and in, involve themselves in. And so by changing the pattern of people's beliefs, he felt—at least I'm convinced of this—he felt that you can change the nature of society. So, if you have um, powerful people who are spiritually inclined, then the society would start to represent and act in similar manner. So, I think that you know how the society works and how an individual works. They seem to be separate. But I also think that there is something that is uh, – that connects the two together, and, I, and Jesus understood that. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, yeah, you get into the nature of politics, and politics has its own direction. Foreign policy has its own issues and whatnot. So then you end up finding you know, national identities and what those identities are supposed to be doing and how they're going to be acting in the world. And that might be different than the impulses of the individual. In fact, usually it's the, and, and, yeah, that is the case. Yeah,
2: and, and you just said you know, Jesus understood all that, um, and that's one of the interesting things about your book interviewing uh, Jesus is is that uh, you, you do recreate the the time in which he was born and uh, spent his first 12 years or so, and it gives some background, uh, go go into a lot more background material on some of these events that um, are only mentioned in the the New Testament, like uh, the the revolt of uh Judas the Galilean um uh, and yeah you know, that happened around the time that uh Jesus is born and then you know also at, at about the same time you get the uh star of bethlehem but the um uh, uh Judas's revolt uh really left a uh sociological I- impact for uh, uh several generations um and you know jesus has grown up in that a- a- aftermath um but you you, you know, you're also focusing on uh, uh jesus's a- actions are a- actually Uh, justifiable as a member of a a suppressed majority of people by the Roman uh, occupiers. Yeah,
5: there's, there's no one, every person in Judea was under the yoke Of the Roman Empire and the Romans were collecting taxes from everybody they had head taxes they had land taxes they had when you were out in the Galilee you had a boat tax you had a a fish catch tax Um, they had temples in uh, in and around uh, Judea so the Roman presence was actually uh, if you might not have seen it uh, you knew that it was always there so that was one part. And then when you got into – when you were talking about Judas the Galilean, um, he was he, – he found it necessary to um, become, in a sense, the avenging angel. Um, and any of the Jews that accepted the Roman tax and the Roman census, he felt was unworthy of God's freedom. And since you become a slave to the Romans, that you would uh, kind of forfeit and relinquish – your, your right to live so he went around and slaughtering he slaughtered all these people so when Jesus comes along he's got a completely different message he's talking about peace he's talking about compassion he's talking about walking the extra mile uh, and those types of uh, teachings and it was to bring a, a different emphasis instead of one on of um, like brutality and fighting he was trying to reconnect ourselves in a different manner to the divine and he wanted to bring a new image of the divine so that people would have new hopes and aspirations of course this idea ends up getting um, mixed together in the christian theology with the end times and that jesus is now the messiah who is supposed to solve all the problems that are occurring in judea at the time that he was alive and now he becomes the Messiah, the Savior to, um, to the Jews. So the Christians were able to take the prevailing ideas of what was going on at the time um, that Jesus was alive and use a concept called the Messiah to their benefit. And in one respect, he is a Messiah but he's not necessarily the political and the religious uh, messiah that the Jews were expecting at that time.
2: Okay. Um you – one one of the aspects of your book that I really enjoyed is you know, this um, – you know, you know, like jesus was you know kinda of like this uh leader of the underground movement against the uh oppressors you know roman oppressors uh and you know, he said he offered uh something different than what was uh what you know most of the people were um Uh, teaching and preaching about how how, how do we in today's world how can we tap into that creative spirit to kind of like circumvent uh, uh, offending the uh, overlords of society
5: well, the men in black and NSA. That's, the, that's the, the $60 million question. And if Jesus is any example, then you don't. You actually go head on and flip the proverbial tables and uh, disrupt the apple cart. And that's what he did. And his example was to bring, uh, was to show his disciples how to act in the world and how to act towards others. And at the same time, by what happened to Jesus, he's also showing as an example that your commitment is going to require your death. So there's an element of um, death in Jesus's conviction. He also understood that life continued on after death. So there was a... um, there was a fearlessness about him because he understood what was going to happen afterwards. But he, he challenged <laughs> uh, both the political – primarily the, the religious establishment, but because you uh, – politics and religion at that time were uh, – they were a marriage of that. So attacking one or addressing one issue uh, was going to affect the other. So John the Baptist apparently, you know, uh, confronted the king of, of of Israel, and he lost his head because of it. And Jesus was going after the priests, and he was crucified because of it. Okay. So I, it's not it's not. I, I don't believe that you can uh, sugarcoat any of the of the nature of confrontation. It's just impossible.
4: All right, just, At least that's uh, not-
2: no, or just uh, cr- creative ways of going about it, and you know, maybe maybe leave a legacy for others to uh, learn from and hopefully circumvent it, uh, it if it starts happening again
5: well what the example is is that bold action also requires bold ideas and the conviction Mm -hmm. to live them out so uh, that's part of the the Christian narrative so there's something brand new and there's going to have to be bold and courageous action so there's There's two components to that.
2: When early on in in your book, you do give us some um, profiles of Joseph and Mary – and you know, since, since you know, uh, this is you know a uh, uh, family season. Um,
4: you,
2: you let's talk a little bit about what you gleaned from the little bit of information that is uh, given to us. In, in the New Testament uh, About uh, uh, The parents that we Jesus
5: Well There are There's not a lot to go by uh, But there's right. enough to where you can At least um, Put yourself into a ballpark And say these are the types of things That you could probably understand Or glean from And there are uh, several different parts to this. So, when it comes to Jesus's uh, father, his um, it's said that he was a man of of righteousness, and I believe that there was this um, aspect about him that was very uh, traditional and yet very caring and very loving. And he wasn't like a very uh, you know I, I don't get the impression that he was a an, uh, 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 a kind of a lord in his family, in a sense, where he just lorded over everybody, but that he tried to nurture a voice in each one of his children, so that they can find their own sense of place in the world. They can find their own um, self-esteem. You know, we these are all terms that we're using today, but I kind of think that that's somewhat what he was doing and at his time. So he was a, uh, probably a very smart man. He was well connected. I believe that they were, uh, they, they came from wealth and that his father was a merchant and that they probably owned some type of, um, business, possibly they sold agricultural products, but there was some kind of business that he was very successful with and no, and having a, a business background and a business, um, IQ they were able to kind of uh, reap the benefits from from his actions and his abilities. His mother, Mary, on the other hand, the fact that she was following Jesus a lot um, and that she had these mystical experiences of angels made me believe that she had um, she was more intuitive as to maybe her husband was more, you know practical and had a very strong religious background. But he really kind of looked at as his, his spirituality was through the practice of the business and making sure that the family was protected and taken care of, and that Mary, she, you know, she was involved with the duties of a wife, but that she was more inclined uh, to have mystical experiences, and knowing that those are two impulses uh, that we read in the New Testament, then it kind of made sense that Jesus
0: would have
5: both those characteristics within him. Um, There's also another part of the equation, and that is um, both Mary and Joseph, and I'm uh, I'm convinced that Jesus did too, felt that there was a sense of destiny for Jesus, that there was something that he was supposed to be doing that was kind of above and beyond uh, normal everyday um, life and that the the mystical experience that Mary had uh confirms and solidifies that idea okay
4: yeah you know, i just
2: you know, joseph and mary uh you know like you said that you know there really isn't a whole lot written about them but it it's just interesting to see how y- you've taken the information that is presented and extract a uh, you know, v- very uh what plausible uh re uh, profile of Joseph and
5: Mary
4: well, you know the
5: other part of this equation is the name of Jesus and his brothers. So they all mm-hmm. had. There were four. Jesus was one of four uh, boys in the family, and then it's mentioned mm-hmm. that he had sisters. So two of the the, bro- the two of the sons have names that are patriarchal. And two have names that are—they um, um, reminiscent—they are reminiscent of the heroes during the Maccabean War that occurred several centuries earlier, in which the Jews freed themselves from uh, the Seleucids, the, the Greek uh, influence in Syria. So. That kind of tells you a little bit about the type of family that they're thinking of themselves in a very traditional manner and yet at the same time in a manner that is bold and uh, aggressive and hearkens to uh, the idea of freedom, You know, freedom from bondage, from oppressors, from the other, the other outsiders of, of the group. So uh, uh, that also kind of influenced the way I was thinking about their that family. So, um, yeah, Jesus yeah, it, it happens to be – go ahead.
2: Oh, I, I, I was just going to say, uh, you're taking the position that, um, you know, J- James is a brother. You know, there's four,
5: four brothers.
2: Um, other uh researchers say well you know i was just a term um used for you know uh, close friends um yeah, do 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 you really think that uh G- jesus had uh you know, br- you know there were three a total of four brothers
5: uh, they- Well, we know that there are four sons and that their names were Um, Actually, I'm sorry, he was one of five Boy, what was I thinking there Um, uh, So you have Jesus Then you have his brother James And James is Mm -hmm. a derivative of Jacob So there's a patriarch Uh, He has another brother named Joseph There's another patriarch Uh, Then we have Judas And uh, we also have Simon And both Judas and Simon Were uh, heroes during the Maccabean world uh, War, excuse me So Jesus had four brothers, uh, and then he he also has stepbrothers because his father was older than Mary by, uh, I'm going to probably say somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 or 30 years. And so he had another family. And so Jesus had half-brothers as well. So this is a big family. But I think that by the time Jesus was born, all the other brothers from Joseph, or all the sons from Joseph, and all of the other Jesus's stepbrothers were much older, and they all had their lives, you know, outside of where they were uh, living in the Galilee. They were probably in Sepphoris or even Caesarea Maritima, or you know, some other place within within Israel. But you don't really hear that much about that, so it's just speculative. Okay, no, it's.
2: Um yeah i have heard you know, is you know your information i've heard other people say you know they're they're actually you know really brothers and other authors have focused on um you know it's it was just a uh term to show close uh, friendship I, I it's just interesting to speculate about uh family issues that Uh, uh, This time of the year
5: Right Well you know the other idea is that Those who believe the same thing Are also considered part of a family So we're going to start We'll see the ideas of brother or sister That you are They're not blood related But you consider them your brother or your sister And sometimes there's even people Who you consider your mother or your father Who are not biologically your mother or father either so it's it's not right. uncommon. The question is is whether or not that was fairly new at the time that um of the first century. And there was definitely something that Jesus was was taking on that had a very family oriented way of thinking. So he uses the father and he uses <clears throat> uh we see in the Christians using brother and sister as part of the identification of being Christian. And I think Jesus The way that he ministered seemed to encourage this idea of a dynamic family. Mm -hmm. Which means that he felt very comfortable being in the family. So you either. Yeah.
2: I was just saying, you know, you do a great job of uh, recreating very plausible uh, uh, scenarios based on, uh, you know, just a a little bit of information. Right. And then, you know, the other thing that makes that
5: that makes sense. Well, I think, you know, I've also uh, studied some um, psychology and I understand the dynamic, some of the dynamics of family, not that I know a lot. Um, I know that there are people uh, who spend their careers really trying to understand the dynamic of family but in in this particular instance i knew enough to say uh, to kind of guide me along as i was investigating this this side of jesus's life and his family uh, there's also what was also important for me is to understand the nature of what people said and when i looked at jesus's personality it was Uh, Not only through the actions that you saw that are described in the the Gospels, but it was also his words, his sayings, and those also are very revealing. So his actions during the ministry and his words that he and his wisdom that he spoke during his ministry also kind of gave me an insight into Jesus's life. Well, the book of James is a, a letter that you have in the new Testament and um, many scholars believe that he is James, Jesus's brother. And there is a quote that he has in there that I, I explored in my book where he says, anybody who's a friend of the world is I think an enemy of God. I, I don't know if I have that right. I think I might be par- uh, paraphrasing it, but there was that aspect to, to that statement that was so in uh, affront to me in relationship to what it is that I was understanding about Jesus. And that also then started to tell me a little bit about the dynamic between uh, Jesus's brother, uh, James, and Jesus himself, that maybe the two were a bit of rivals. And it wouldn't surprise me because uh, Jesus seems to have been the older um, uh, son to um, joseph and mary and and possibly james was the the second son and if jesus was the first son and it seems like on all indications that he was uh particularly based off the idea that he goes through his bar mitzvah there's a a passage in there that would make you believe that he's the first son then if his father is as wealthy as i believe that he was then it was uh then uh, jesus would have been taken over the family business and since Jesus is not taking over the family business, then you have to ask yourself, well, who's next in line? Well, James is next in line. But now we're finding out that James becomes the father of the Jerusalem church. So something's going on with Jesus and his family and, the, and their, their estate, their, uh, uh, their business. So I don't know who's taken over it, but it seems like the first two sons – have moved in the direction towards serving God than than um, running the family business. Yeah, but Jesus' like Jesus's impulse of serving God seems a little different than the way James is describing it. So there's a, quite a bit of interesting kind of dynamic that happens because of that.
2: Mm-hmm. And... Then there's a uh another close relative, John the Baptist, that uh, is uh doing his own ministry and uh he may not have followed the uh footsteps of uh yeah, that his dad wanted him to follow, so it it, it just it seems like there's this familial pattern uh, that that you bring out in your book.
4: Well, everyone's doing uh, again, things a little differently
5: in, too. And and you're seeing it in the idea, the metaphor, the the heroes of the Maccabean War. It's those who are going out and pushing boundaries to make changes in the world. And that seems to be part of this family.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: And that's what all, I find all, so extraordinary. That they would they would have yeah. enough conviction and they have enough um, chutzpah to go out and say, this is who we are and this is what we're going to do. And this is how we feel the divine is motivating us. And they have no qualms about it. They just get in there and they roll up their sleeves and they make it happen. Yeah.
2: And two two
5: of them died. And they're for it. not acting. And here's what, and they're willing to die for it. So they're not acting as victims. They're not acting as victims. They're out there pushing limits. And they had a sense of what they needed to do and they did it. And I think that that is part of this, you know, part of the story that you were alluding to earlier of like, what do we need to do to make changes in our society? Well, that's, you know, the conviction of saying, Hey, I, I want this to happen. And I believe this is necessary. That's the start. Okay.
2: And since we were just uh, talking, you know, we're talking about convictions and uh, you, you did, did mention careers a little earlier. I, I was just, uh, you know, there are references um, in your, well, in, in, in the new testament about uh, um, occupations you know, the uh, unpopular uh, tax collectors is uh, one but it, it, you know as we you know, uh, you know as some of the listening audience might be uh winding down the Uh, you know, fall semester and, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, their, their careers and, um, you know, you know, might be, uh, having to think about, uh, you know, my career after the English robo babe yells at me after, (laughs) after the show, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) but, um, yeah. You know, uh, what are, um, uh, you know, h- how do we become, the, you know, the kind of person God wants us to be as we you know, th- think about you know, topics like that at this time
5: of the season? What well, oh boy, that's a completely loaded question. So, <laughs> uh we have several different parts to that and there is an, um, there's a, there's something that I'm learning about kind of this whole process and what I'm finding is is that there is there's a, we are emotional beings and everything that we do is all about emotion so we think that we can imagine worlds we think that we should do this we think we should do that but there are always emotions that are attached to that and so what i've had to learn is how to manage those emotions i've had to learn i've had to learn how to manage my thoughts and kind of keep all the monkey brain ideas and all the chatter that's going on and keep that to a minimum and those are there's exercises and techniques for doing that one is meditation one is prayer Um, One is also the opening of the heart Being compassionate Uh, I believe that Jesus was interested In brotherhood, unity and love And those were kind of the three Basic tenets of his Ministry and how do we Embrace um, Seeing others and being kind To others and doing um, uh, Do to others as you'd want them to do unto you I mean today we have a very Different kind of aspect which is Everything is for me. This is all mine. You can't have anything. And where does sharing come in? So, how do we become more like supple, and how do we become limber to be able to allow uh, compassion to come into the world? And is it is it do we want to just be compassionate, you know, to people who are just really mean, or do we need to be compassionate to those who are actually willing to accept what it is that we offer? You know, I, I, I don't have the, the, the answers to all of that because sometimes it's not always a, a really good thing to keep giving of yourself uh, to those who don't appreciate it or, or want it. So um, we have to kind of learn boundaries. Uh, I have found that, that it's really important for me to have close friends, being able to talk, talk to you, uh, to talk to my mom and dad, to be with them. And, uh, you know, still, uh, you know, I'm very close to my brothers and, uh, I just find that all that is absolutely necessary because we're all part, they are all part of our journey and it's to what we're here to do, at least in my mind, is to embrace all that we have that are, av- that's available. All that we can do, you know, embrace the potentials, all, all of our emotions, both the the good, the bad, and the ugly, and those who are around us, and just accept it and be with it, and be comfortable with it, and kind of be real and be authentic. So it's you know authenticity is really really important, and I know that a you know, part of Christianity deals says you know don't lie. It's, there's a there's a truth, and that you want to live truth, and I'm a I'm I advocate that I believe that. You know, truth is not trying to uh, stick it to somebody else just because, oh, I can do it. You don't want to be, I don't feel like that's necessary and that's needed. Um, and so the impulse, though, is to uh, counteract that impulse of wanting to always get revenge and always wanting to be right with trying to be understanding. So this is a very kind of a, this is a very uh, wide net of understandings, but there's kind of at the center of it is who are you? What's your relationship to the divine? How close are you to the divine? How close are you to recognizing your own flaws so that you can minimize those so that you can start embracing all that's positive, that you can start self-actualizing yourself, you can activate yourself, you can kind of get rid of all those toxic emotions that are no longer serving you. All of that is all part of the process, and the more you do, the more joy you find in the world. It's not as dark as you think it is, so that's another part of the the whole matrix.
2: Yeah, and and how how, how do you uh, uh, transpose those – Nurturing uh, traits to y- your artwork. I mean, you, know, you have lots of great uh, color photography, uh, you know, black and white photos. You know, you're doing painting. Um, you know, your art- artwork seems to re- reflect a lot of th- those characteristics. Um...
5: The grain of my soul is creativity. And so I find that when I am the, when I feel whole, when I feel most comfortable with myself, when I feel like the world is right, is when I'm engaged in the creation of something new, whether it's uh, a, a photograph, or it is a painting, or it is uh, the mystery symbols that I created or even the book that I created they they seem to be I seem to want and need to have this desire to create and the the act of creation for me is a way to connect to a much deeper source than normal so we have our everyday lives we all have you know bills to pay we have You know, if we have a house, you have maintenance on the house, if you, you know, you have doctor's appointments and you have your truck or your car and you got all these different things and you have family and you have friends and you have, you know, food and all those things. Those are all part of the matrix. They're all part of your life and they're and they're they all need to have expression. But there's another layer that I need to have, and that is the quiet time, not only to meditate and to pray but also to reflect and then to create. And that for me, that is my source, that is my sacred space. So I try on a daily basis to have time to be able to create. And when I find myself not creating, I feel the most disconnected. So everybody has that space within themselves, the sacred space, and I feel that it's necessary for people to create sacred space in their home. They need to have, they set, need to set up boundaries so that when you're in that space, that is your time. And that is your time for you and it's your time for uh, your connection to the divine.
2: Okay. And yeah, you know, aside from uh, you know, painting, you've uh, worked on uh de- developing uh sacred energy circles. Um can you tell us a little bit about w- where you're going with the sacred energy circles and labyrinths?
5: Well, um earlier back in the uh late 90s and early uh at the turn of this um the millennium here I was involved with a group and we uh, were dedicated and we sacrificed quite a bit of our time and money and energies to be part of this um uh, this quest to build seven sacred energy circles um around the globe and we accomplished that and I was part of that uh, there was I was involved with two <clears throat> one was in Turkey <laughs> Excuse me, and the other one is in Peru, and these particular circles uh, were portals for new energies to come into the world and to transform the existing. The idea was is that these these would be portals for new energies to come into the world, so that new um, ideas and new uh, consciousness and uh, new possibilities could manifest and kind of make new our world and where we can go and that's what we were told and that's what i believed and i still believe and from that uh, there were a number of very deep kind of spiritual lessons that um, were part of that work one was dedication one was getting up every day and having to do the various exercises and the rites and the rituals that were were needed to create those. One was um, the uh, the sacrifice of money to be able to go and do that, and uh, one was the sacrifice of the time. So, my feeling is is that whatever you engage in, you have to kind of invest in a almost an all or nothing. And we find that in Jesus, he he com- he was completely invested into his ministry and he expected others to be just as invested and it is through that focus that the greatest rewards come to you and that's what i learned from these energy circles the second thing is is that um, when you talked about the, the labyrinth uh, i have a, a house here in tucson and it was important for me to be able to build a labyrinth on the property and part of that goes back to kind of the neolithic ideas of of stone structures and i feel um akin to the that spirit there seems to be something very necessary in what i do to be able to create uh shapes out of rocks rocks hold some amazing energies and i don't fully appreciate all that it does, but they, there's a memory in those rocks. And then when you put them all together, it, you, you put it together in a into the geometric shape. So the, the geometric shape has its own way of manifesting energy, but then the rocks are able to hold that kind of energy. And I know that when I built my labyrinth here on the property, the energy of the property changed and shifted, and I could feel that. So I'm a I'm a believer in uh, uh, stone stone circles uh, stone structures.
2: Is is the labyrinth underground or how's that set up?
5: No, mine's a, a classic seven ring labyrinth and it's sitting um, just to the west of my front door, and it's 54 feet in diameter, so it's big.
2: Okay. Is the 54 feet uh, diameter uh, it's symbolic of a certain u- unit of measurement?
5: No, I think it just turned out that way. I wanted each of the, the pathways to be, I think I wanted them 30 inches. So that's how I did it. And so uh, the rings, so there are seven rings. So it was 30 inches per ring on both sides. So that turned out to be, a certain d- dimension and then the pathway to get into the circle or excuse me to get into the labyrinth I wanted to have like a four-foot path or something like that so it, it turned out to be a uh, four feet essentially as an outer perimeter um, circle as well and it just turned out that it was it, you know when I put a tape measure to it it was 54 feet oh, okay Cool. So, so I, uh, I didn't I didn't plan it out like any um, astronomical or archeo um, astro astrological thing that you'd find with the pyramids or any of the work that you've been doing.
2: Okay. Well, uh, you're welcome to come back and tell us when you've uh, you know bu- built uh, you know, Stonehenge in Arizona. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Mark, you're making me laugh. Because what if it happens? <laughs> yeah, I got some special alignment to the, to the night sky. <laughs> okay, so you know we're we're
2: uh, you know we're about uh, five minutes left. Uh, you, you know what? Are you working on uh, a new project now? To, you know, uh, doing some artwork, another uh, book.
5: Well, I have uh, a whole new body of paintings that I've been working on, and then um, what I found when I was writing my book is that that required a certain amount of attention and focus, and there's a, there's a, an element of creativity to it. That um, was just so potent and powerful that I had to just stay with all of these ideas that were in my head. However, I felt that there was another visual di- uh, dimension, and that's kind of part of, again, that's part of my personality, that I just need to be able to me- make something uh, on a visual level. Some people do it through sound, right, and with music, but for me, it's all visual, so, uh I was out taking a lot of photographs, so I found myself it was a really kind of a wonderful compliment to be able to write the book and then also um, focus in on taking uh, photographs and Now, what's happening is is I'm creating a brand new body of paintings, and this is satisfying a very kind of deep uh need for me and I haven't been able to find the other outlets like I did when I was writing. So this seems to be enough at the moment. However, uh, I am finding that the energy is starting to shift and that um, I'm starting to grapple with the idea of how, what new subject for a book that I can write. And so some new ideas are, are coming, coming through. I don't have anything definite right now. But I'm definitely um it's i can sense that something is is uh starting to to grow inside of me
2: okay well yeah you're always welcome to come back and talk about it when you get it done and uh if people want to know more about what you're doing uh what's your website and
5: so I have my, my website is uh, www.davidcollis.com, and I'm on Facebook. Uh, it's David C. Collis. So hopefully people can connect with me and um, ask questions and whatnot. So I'd be happy to answer some questions if anybody has them. Okay. Uh,
2: Barbara, do you want to step in and uh, wrap up our Christmas show. Just want to, you know, wish I want a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays again.
1: absolutely, I'm not sure I'm talking to you, um, <laughs> but for the rest of people, <laughs> um, I want to thank you. I need everybody. salvation. You need rescue. You <laughs> redemption. Uh, Let me show you how powerful I am. (laughs) Cut his mic off. I want to thank everybody for being here tonight and enjoying the show with us. Do stay warm and cozy. And um, keep track. We're not going very well. We'll be um, here back and forth a little bit. On the 30th, I'm going to be doing free letter rip readings on Monday night. And if you have nothing better to do, stop by and get a free reading for the next year. Other than that, Thanks a lot for being here, everybody. We greatly appreciate you being with us. Check us out on YouTube and subscribe if you like what you hear. Good night, everybody.